If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so um, before we jump in, do you want to maybe just like tell listeners a little bit about like yourself and your work? Yeah. So um, my name is Suze, and I call myself a sensual guide. I'm a sensual guide and herpes advocate. So um, I speak mostly about herpes, but it's definitely branched into like sexual health in general, I would say a little bit more, but the focus is mostly on herpes because that's what I have. So I have genital herpes, HSV2. I got it in 2019. So it's been like um, three years now. And I was always into sensuality before that, which is kind of a little bit elusive and abstract to describe, um, but kind of fun to get into. I could do a whole a podcast on just that. <laughs> yeah. So what what is being a sensual guide entail? Like what are you um what are you doing on like a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so it kind of started um I was I was married like in my previous life pretty much. I was like married <laughs> for almost 10 years and I did um go through a miscarriage unfortunately during that marriage and it it was since that time that was around 2017 that getting over that, I kind of just had this like, I know it sounds a little out there, but I almost feel like I had this like spontaneous awakening of like, I'm going to love and cherish and celebrate my body like never before. Like there was just something about witnessing my body healing from that experience. And I was just like looking at myself in the mirror, like naked one day. And I was just like, why have I wasted most of my adult life? Like picking apart my body, like not really feeling super confident, not wearing what I want to wear, not expressing myself the way I want to express myself. So it was almost like this pact I made with myself in the moment to just be so unapologetically myself um, and like express that to the world however I saw fit, regardless of what anyone thought. I was always really concerned with what people around me thought and what they would say and how they would judge me, which is so ironic <laughs> given what I do now. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so it's really this like slow unveiling of, you know, these kind of like sensual practices I started doing that I didn't even know. I didn't even call it sensuality back then. I didn't even know what that was, but I was just sort of intuitively drawn to it. And it was things like, you know, just like really exploring my wardrobe and like I got rid of most of my clothes and started over and just like really gravitated towards what excited me and and lit me up, even if it was things I didn't have the balls to wear out, but like wore them inside and like pranced around my place with them. Yeah. Oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And then eventually you get the balls to wear it outside because you kind of like work up the the nerve and confidence. But, um, you know, practices like dancing and and free movement to like music um and obviously like self-pleasure plays into it um and all these things and like taking photos and videos of myself just to like document my sexual expression kind of and and just like how I presented myself to the world and I remember early on I kind of struggled with whether it was like vain and like you know self-absorbed to do that. Yeah. But I always tell people like loving and adoring and adorning yourself is an act. It's an act of self-love. There's nothing selfish about loving this like creation or, or being that you are. Um, and the more you get to a good place with yourself, the more that kind of just expands to people around you. Like I've been so much better to the people in my life since becoming like that than when I was actually like struggling and insecure and all of that. So yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's so exciting to hear you talk this way because I've, I rarely, especially for women, I feel like society really, 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 I mean, they literally bank off of us hating ourselves, right? That's why like the makeup industry is a billion dollar industry and the plastic surgery industry is a billion dollar industry. It's like they mm-hmm. are banking on us not having self-love and picking apart ourselves. And so you having this, like being so unashamed in your self-love is so refreshing to hear because it is such a struggle, I think, for so many women. Thank you. And oh my God, I completely agree. Like we're, I think even the notion that it is vain or selfish, like people's reaction kind of goes to show how like we really are conditioned to reject um, giving ourselves that kind of appreciation and celebration, right? Because you're exactly right. Like so many things are, so many things that are sold to us and marketed to us every day bank on us feeling like shit about ourselves. And it's, you know, we're all human. We all go through ups and downs, but like it's so powerful and beautiful to like embrace yourself with all the unique things that make you, you know, as cliche as it sounds, but just like special and beautiful, like beauty is so subjective. Like, yeah, there are standards and, you know, objective things we can all appreciate, but I've, I've been with gorgeous people who I've gotten to know. And then I was just like, you're ugly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's crazy how much someone's personality can affect the way that you see them physically. A hundred percent. So it really is like we all have things about ourselves that we can like love and appreciate and uphold. And I think beauty really is in the eye of the beholder and it just grows and grows when you feed that. So, um, you know, coming to a place of being like kind of like a sensual guide, it's sort of like my 
goal is just to like inspire that in other people and and you even just being that way and and shining in that like way inspires other people to discover that and allow that within themselves which is which is so cool you know yeah. so, so the, the yeah. journey the journey to the confidence you have now you know it it didn't it wasn't always there it wasn't easy for you it was like it was a journey and i think that's really important to note because I think a lot of times there are people who have gone through a lot of things in their life and it's made them the person they are. And they've come to this conclusion in a way that you're describing about like, fuck it. Like, I'm not going to waste any more of my time. Like, I'm going to like love myself and be my most confident self. But I think when somebody's still struggling, they'll see that and they're like, oh, I'm just not that person. When in reality, like it's, it's, it's hard work to get there. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I I'm I'm writing a book about all of it, like my journey with sensuality and getting herpes and how all of that tied together. And just like I've been looking back at my childhood and and you know my teen years and and young adult years and like I was always just deathly afraid of what people thought. Like I would yeah. walk into rooms or parties and just be frozen in fear of like what anyone was saying or thinking about me and something that, you know, I, I did, I, I saw a therapist like in my twenties, I still do same therapist. Um, but I sought my therapist out for help with all of that. And one of the things she said to me that I've heard other people say as well, that kind of like blew their mind or changed their perspective is that like, people are rarely thinking about you. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you walk into a space, people are, everybody's like thinking about themselves or worried about themselves. It's not like, like I know there's moments where we're like, oh my God, all eyes are on me. I just walked in. Everyone's wondering who I am or something like that. But a lot of it is is ex like we sort of exaggerate that moment and feeling and most people are just like concerned with themselves or they like look at you for a second. And even if people have judgments about you, they're so personal. Like they're so it's it's always like projections of their own things. So they're not really valid. What really does matter most at the end of the day is how you feel, how you think of yourself. And, you know, a lot of the clothes I had acquired and even just decisions I had made in my life and things I had done were always about pleasing people around me and yeah. just making sure that like I didn't ruffle any feathers. So it's like as soon as I started to embrace my sensual self and express myself more and allow my like sexuality to come forward, it started to ruffle some feathers. So there was some growing pains in almost like before I even got herpes and became public about that, I was already making some people uncomfortable who were just like, you know. Just um, because you were unashamed and you were wearing what made you happy. Exactly. Exactly. And once I got over that hump, I was like, you know, why wouldn't I dress the way I want to dress? And like our sexuality is so controlled too, because it's like, okay, in certain contexts or, you know, people accept it if it's like for their own consumption or pleasure, but if it's not on their clock or not the way they want it to happen, like they, they can, you know, they, um, scorn it and stuff. So it's, it's like sensuality and sexuality do really go hand in hand in a lot of ways. And absolutely our sexuality is so important to like tap into and express and explore also in, in whatever way we see fit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And how has that like, how has that confidence played into you being on TikTok? Because you're, 
you know, you have a huge following there. And for me, I think personally, you know, the internet can be a very scary place. Like I saw a meme recently that was like, when you're, you notice that your TikTok is about to start going viral and you get like that pit in your stomach because it's like, okay, I'm about to be opened up to like a lot of people's opinions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember my first video I ever saw of yours was the one where you were responding to your worst comments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just, it transcends the herpes. You know, you're just like confident as a woman on the internet, which I think can be really, really tough. Because you're just like, it's already hard enough to open yourself up to, you know, the 50 people at a party or at a bar or the even the people in your own life and your friends and your family. But opening up yourself to the internet is opening yourself up to like the anonymity of people's, you know, opinions that they're allowed to say without feeling any shame or guilt. And, you know, at in your instance now, it's hundreds of thousands of people. Do you feel like it's helped increase your confidence or has it been tough for you? Oh, my God. It's it's done wonders. <laughs> I love that. That was the yeah. answer I was hoping to hear. <laughs> For sure. And and I think it is so crucial. Like you were saying, it's like these things don't necessarily happen overnight. And you like, like at any given moment, that feeling or thought that like, well, I'm just this kind of person or I'll never be this kind of person. Like it's not true. Right. Like I never thought I would be like this ever. Yeah. Um, I never thought I would be public about getting herpes. That was like when I first got it in the first several months, I was just like, there's no way I'm ever going to tell anyone like yeah. except partners, you know? Um, and I, you know, I will say like that first viral, like the very first viral video I had, I think was, um, like I had made a couple videos before that, that kind of went under the radar. And I remember being like, okay, good. Like no one really, (laughs) no one really noticed, you know, um, at least on TikTok, but like my very first post was on Instagram about it. But, um, I was already making TikToks around sensuality. And then I was like slipping the herpes piece in. And then my first video on TikTok that went viral was, um, it was just like me, moving to a song and the caption was like, if he wants you, he'll accept you with herpes. Like that was all it said. Yeah. And that was crazy. Like, um, and I wasn't saying, I I don't know if some people, men misunderstood that I was saying like, he's, he's going to be okay with getting herpes. Like, cause people just assume you sleep with someone with herpes, you're going to get herpes automatically. Like it doesn't work like that. And they were just going off. And those first couple of weeks of that video going viral were so intense. I, I was having panic attacks like daily. Oh my God. I was so anxious. I was like, I'm going to delete my TikTok. I'm not going to do this. I don't have the strength to do this. I was like crying to friends of mine. Like, and it, and so much of it was like, I was horrified at how like, awful and mean like these men were you know it was like 99% men just commenting like saying the worst like you know um misogynist like things to me yeah I had I I was getting like death threats like it was crazy oh my god and I disabled comments on that video because eventually I was like I need to for my mental health to like step away and then I think I took a little bit of a break And then I like kept posting. And the thing I quickly realized is like the algorithm on TikTok is so like I'm sure you've seen or anyone on TikTok has kind of seen once you've made some videos like 
it'll hit different audiences, right? Yes. You, could, you could upload the same video the next day and it's going to hit like a super supportive audience. Yeah. And I, so the more I made videos, the more it kind of like varied the audience. And once, once I started to find people who were, you know, who also had herpes or just who were completely open to and accepting of that message, um, it was like counteracting the hate and, you know, and since opening up about it, even on Instagram, I was getting so many amazing, beautiful, positive messages, like in my DMs and people reaching out to me and people telling me they also had it, but started to have men come through too, who were supportive. And it just like, it took a while. Like I would say maybe like half a year to a year of struggling with like how to handle trolls and like hate when it came up. But uh, you know, cause I would do everything from like argue back to like ignore, to like insult them, to kill them with kindness. Like I tried all of it. I have two. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, it did finally reach a point where it's so insignificant to me and it's amazing. And I just feel for any like other people in my audience who see those comments and it, it pains me that it like can hurt them, right. you know, like that's what I worry about. And so I still snap back and like highlight some of the rude comments and respond to them or ridicule them. But in general, I'm just like, bring it on. Like you just, you start to see that so much of their hatred is so based on like ignorance, lack of education, lack of intelligence, um, you know, and, and the bottom line is like these kinds of men are just like not happy with seeing a woman own her like confidence and sexuality and and challenges and so they just want to like bring her down and it's pathetic like you can honestly you get to a point where you laugh at it cuz you're just like okay you know right especially when you like you know once in a while like go to their page and like okay who is this person and it's like you can immediately see it's like they're either this anonymous troll that's like hiding behind a fake account and like that in and of itself tells me pretty much everything I need to know about a person Mm -hmm. or they're just someone who's like sad and like bored with their life and they're just like scrolling and like sending these messages because it makes them feel a little bit better for a moment and they like can't stand to see somebody accepting things about them that society deems aren't you know aren't accepting and being like I fuck that I'm gonna accept this anyway and I'm gonna be proud of it and like people I mean yeah they hate that it is it is insane no offense to any male listeners but whenever a video of mine starts doing well and I notice it's hitting a male audience, I'm like, fuck. Oh, for sure. I get so upset. I'm like, damn damn it. This is like, (laughs) this is not who I was going for here. Yeah. And it's so, it's so funny to hear anyone stigmatize like herpes because it's like they literally have no idea that like they're not screened for it. Most people are asymptomatic. Like, most of them have it. So it's like- well, that's the crazy thing too. And something I wanted to like get into was almost like, I feel like we need to do like a herpes 101 because I think one of the biggest things, you know, for me as a sex educator, but also just seeing like some of the questions you have to answer is there are so many misconceptions about how you get herpes and what it even is and how many people have it. Like the fact that you know, what is it? It's like over 75% of the population like has herpes. And it's like, I think that they're the biggest, you know, addition to the stigma is the fact that people just actually genuinely don't know anything about it. For sure. And our sex ed is so poor in schools. Like 
I don't even really remember my own. I and had none. I went to Catholic school, so I didn't even have any. Yeah, me too. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I didn't even have it. Maybe that's why I don't remember it. I remember yeah. learning about like the reproductive system and like how kids are made and like whatever. But um, even in high school, I can't remember learning much. And, uh, you know, I've heard from so many people who've just like been shown these like awful images in class and a lot of it is like abstinence minded. So it's like trying to scare you out of engaging in, in sex by showing you all these like quote unquote awful things you can get. Um, and making you think that like, you know, if you're just this safe, good, righteous person, like you're not going to get an STI when the reality is like all adult, like all sexually active adults are, are going to get like not all most are going to get an STI at some point. Yeah. Um, we're human. Like we're, it, it's like we live our lives and expect that at some point we're going to catch some like viruses, right? Like flus or colds or like with COVID, like all these things. But it's so strange that we, we feel like we're infallible to STIs and that like, you know, we've like messed up in some way if we get one, because I mean, we're all engaging in really close contact with each other and like viruses and bacteria are normal, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that goes back to the lack of sex education and and especially the leaning into abstinence-based sex education because then it just it just puts this shame around that. It's like there's no shame around getting a cold, but there's shame around getting chlamydia when like in both cases you would just like take a week's worth of antibiotics and you're fine. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. for some reason there's this like huge stigma around it and it becomes like the butt of jokes and things and then people feel shame around it. I mean, it all goes toward like, you know, a lot of things, you know, patriarchy and the way our society is built around, um, you know, sex and feeling like we have to shame people for that and like not allowed to experience pleasure. And if you do, then like you'll have to suffer these consequences. But Mm -hmm. it is crazy the way that the way that they stigmatize them. And it makes it worse because then they don't actually give you all of the facts and the information to be able to to understand it or to handle it, whether, you know, you get it or you have a partner who gets an STI, it's like, then you're not equipped to handle these things, like, literally or emotionally, because you haven't been taught. Exactly, exactly. And the thing they should be telling young people in schools is like, if they're doing a sex ed course, it should be like, most humans have herpes, herpes is really common. Yeah, most of you probably have it orally. You probably don't know that like the cold sores you get or people around you that get cold sores, like it's herpes. There's nothing wrong with that either, you know? And like you can transmit oral herpes to people, like to someone's genitals via oral sex. Like we're just not told that. And, and it's like more than it's hard to find exact numbers, but, um, they've done different studies over the years. And it's like, I've seen anywhere from like, up to half or more of genital herpes cases are HSV-1, which comes from the oral the oral kind. Um, oh, wow. I didn't yeah. realize it was that high. It's so con- – like so – even just like, you know, I like to think like I have a decent amount of field research just from like all the people that reach out to me and tell me their stories and experiences and like so many people. Like I, I, I feel like HSV-1 is like the more common one to me that I hear about. Um, and, and it's because like, we're, it's, it's so like, there's just this really intense double standard 
between it being oral and genital. Like it's like, oh, so bad if it's genital, but oh, totally normal if it's oral. But then we're literally risking it every single time we receive oral sex. Most of us don't really use barriers for oral sex. So we're not worried about that. Right. But as soon as someone lets you know they have it genitally, it's like, oh my God, you know, do I want to risk that? So it's such a, it's such a perspective thing. And it, and it does really come down to this lack of education. I didn't know most of these things before I got herpes either. Like I knew cold sores were herpes, but I didn't know you could get it genitally from that. I didn't know we weren't screened for it. Like that's the other major thing people should be told or just realize because. So when you do like a general, like let's say it like Planned Parenthood, like a, just a general STD testing, they're not screening herpes. Generally, no, because if you look at like guidelines, like the CDC and WHO, they all recommend not screening for it. Why? And the reasons, it's so perplexing actually, but some of the reasons that they list are, you know, most people have it anyways. Um, It doesn't make a difference. Like they're like, it doesn't change the spread to, to diagnose people. Right. Because it spreads anyways. (laughs) Um, and that like, because it's asymptomatic for most, like what they mean is like most people who have it asymptomatically are not going to really be able to do anything about, about like spreading it, right? you know, cause you don't know when you might be shedding. Cause like viral shedding, um, is when that virus just kind of activates, but you have no visible symptoms and that can happen whether you have it orally or genitally or type one or type two. So someone who has it with no symptoms, which is the majority of people who have herpes have no symptoms. Um, they could be spreading it. And like, so to them, it's kind of like, what's the point of letting you know if you're going to like, we're not going to be able to prevent you from spreading it anyway. That's so interesting. Yeah. The conclusion they would come to. Yeah. Because often too, when they diagnose you asymptomatically, like if you do end up getting a test and you realize like you have it, but you've never had a symptom, some doctors will even tell you, you don't need to disclose it, which is really, yeah. Which is really confusing because you know, that kind of goes against what we think is the moral thing to do. Because right. if you know, you should probably let people know. But people aren't generally disclosing oral herpes, right? I mean, that's very true. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of these weird gray areas with it. And then they also, in the guidelines, they literally state that it causes so much mental distress and anxiety for people that um, it's not worth knowing. Wow. So they'll, they'll literally be like, Unless you're the small percentage, I think it's like 10 to 20% actually get symptoms. Unless you're in that category that develops symptoms, it's kind of like just go about your life. (laughs) Well, it's so crazy that it's almost this like catch 22 because it's like, well, we're not going to test it or tell people because most people have it anyway and it's not that big of a deal. But also we're not going to tell people because it's such a big deal socially that it might harm their mental health. Totally. Like I kind of wish they would just do – like a global screening and just show people that most of us have it and they can just like kill the stigma instantly. Well, I think that now that's another one of the big stigmas too, is that, is that herpes is relatively like harmless in terms of like, if you know, if you're aware of what you have, if you're safe with your partners and stuff, if you're aware of flare-ups and stuff like that, it's, it it is relatively harmless. It's not like, you know, getting an SD that could, that might like affect you, um, you know, physically. Right. 
That's the that's another reason they don't screen either because they'll prioritize STIs that could actually harm your health if yeah. they're unaddressed, right? Like if you don't, because a lot of them are asymptomatic and like so something like chlamydia that like we do, you know, put lower on the peg of like seriousness. Like it's like you know if you get chlamydia but you don't know for years, like it can actually wreak havoc in your body. Like, Absolutely, it can, it can, it can cause it's infertility and all that, right? Yeah. Whereas so. herpes, I think they don't prioritize either because it doesn't harm your health. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like, people will try to, people will try to throw in like the red herring in my comments all the time and be like, oh, but you can get this complication or like this can happen. It's like, you can say that about like literally anything and everything. <laughs> like, Right. The like if, part- if, if their issue is like, maybe, I mean, I don't know what it is. I'm just guessing it has to do something with like maybe infections from having an open sore. It's like people get sores and like wounds from other things too. Like, Absolutely. Like, like they'll, <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, well, you're susceptible to other STIs now because you have herpes, but it's like, you are also su- susceptible if you nick your skin shaving. Like, yeah. Or you have a paper cut. Like that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Completely irrelevant. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, the most harmful thing about herpes is the social stigma, really. Absolutely. Like, of course, you know, if you're getting flare-ups frequently, like, it can be different in everybody. Yeah. And if you're getting flare-ups frequently, it can be kind of inconvenient. But, like, I've compared it in my mind to sort of, like, psoriasis or eczema where, like, you know, it's not fun to have, like, like something on your skin that's irritating or or slightly painful or whatnot. But, you know, there's also such a misconception around the flare-ups themselves because people think that (laughs) like they understand when it's oral, you get this like occasional cold sore, right? When it's genital, they think you're like walking around covered in blisters just 24 yeah. seven. Like your body is like ravaged with blisters and it will like, they're, they're just, they're referencing the photos that they were shown in, in exactly. sex. <laughs> exactly. And the photos are it, it like, I I'm planning to do a video calling out like educators who've shown photos like that because, um, it's, it's so damaging. And yeah. a lot of those photos are not even necessarily the kind of herpes we might be talking about. There's so many strains of herpes. There's shingles, there's chicken pox, like um, mono is a type of herpes as well. Wow. Um, And a lot of those photos too are the very first outbreak. So your very first flare up with herpes, and this is only again for the small percentage that ever gets a symptom might be like a few blisters, right? Like it might look a little bit more concerning and, you know, it can come with other symptoms. Like you might actually feel like you're sick or you have the flu because your body's like trying to fight this virus off. Yeah. Um, And when people talk about it being really painful, it's usually like because having a blister in a sensitive area just doesn't feel great. Even right, if you have course. an ingrown hair or like pimple there, it doesn't feel great because there's a lot of friction. It's sensitive, whatever. And then um, the one thing is like, if you have a blister near where, and this mostly affects people who have like a vulva, because it's like, if you happen to get a blister near where your urine is just going to like hit it, that sucks. <laughs> like that hurts because that's just like open skin that your acidic urine is hitting. So I right. feel like when a lot of people talk about it being painful and stuff. It's, it's mostly due to that and just like the friction, but your recurring flare ups are nothing like that. So like 
because once your body, so like in that first flare up, it's kind of like you can see it as like your body's like at war with the virus. It's trying to fight it off. What is this? Yeah. Yeah. And the virus is like fighting back and whatever. They're in this like battle. Once your body like builds up antibodies um, and gets used to it, your recurring flare ups, and they could happen for people once every few months, few times a year, maybe once every few years, maybe never again. So it's like different for everybody. Yeah. But the recurring ones can be like, they're usually like maybe like one bump or blister that comes and goes in a few days and okay. like is barely noticeable. So a lot of people might pass off a herpes flare up as something else and never really realize they have herpes because wow. they never had that big first uh, flare up either, yeah. you know, and it can look like a paper cut. It can look like nothing. Like you might never get anything on your skin, but you just feel like some skin, sensitive skin or like burning or tingles. So it's so not what people think. Absolutely. And especially because if you are regularly sexually active, it's like those feelings happen all the time. Like, you know, you'll have some like burning with peeing if you didn't like pee right after sex or you'll have like some chafing Mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's like you're already maybe experiencing those things because those things are just common when you're, you know, regularly sexually active and not even realize that you're you're actually experiencing herpes. Yeah. Like the beginning of my first flare up, I thought for sure I was just torn and had a UTI. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And I, I was like, eventually when I was starting to inspect myself, like I did have like a bump on my, like in my pubic area that I just thought was like an ingrown hair. And once it blistered, that's when I went to get checked out. Yeah. Um, but even then, what I was feeling below that where I thought I had a UTI or I was torn, I didn't see any blisters there. Like I, I, there was nothing visible. It was just, but I guess there were a couple blisters developing. And like when I went a second time to another clinic that like took a closer look, they were like, Oh, you have a couple blisters there. And that's what was hurting. Um, but I could have passed it off as a UTI and, and never known easily. Yeah. And then it probably would have gone away in a few days. And and if you didn't have another flare up for a while, you would have just continued living your life. Exactly. And I honestly think a lot of people do that. Yeah, absolutely. Because they don't know. Um, cause we just assume we're going to have this like super obvious, crazy experience. And it's interesting to know too, like with it orally, most people, when they first get oral herpes, they'll have like a few cold sores as well. Like their first flare up might be pretty dramatic. Yeah. And then after when they get them, it's like one little cold sore. So it works the same. Like people try to say they're so different. They're the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So how do you, how do you now handle flare ups? Like, is it still annoying for you or frustrating? I have friends who have HSV-1. And I know that some of them are more used to it, but some of them, when they have a flare-up, it is like, it will ruin their week. They're just, you know, not having a good time. They don't feel cute. They don't want to go out. You know what I mean? It's like, does that, does it still affect you that way? Or are you, are you a little bit more like accepting of it? And you're just like, this is just, it's just, this is what it is. Yeah. Like I think early on, I was definitely a lot more affected. Um, and I totally feel that like it could, you know, cause it's a reminder. Like you're like, Oh, right. I have herpes, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, it's something that like, you're probably not going to want to go on dates that week. Like you're probably just not going to feel very good and want to sit at home and like hide from the world. But 
what I really try to do. And that's where a lot of that like sensuality work comes in as well is to counteract that as much as possible. So it's like, if you're feeling, cause it can just bring back all the stigma when you have a flare up and just like bring all those feelings to the surface again. Um, so for me, one thing I tell people is like, you know, you, of course you can just like veg out and chill and lay in your bed and like ignore the world. Like if that's what you need, that's yeah. great. You know, give yourself I do that, that when I get a forehead pimple. Like, yeah, <laughs> I've literally said it quite a few times. Like I get way more upset over, cause like I'm in my late thirties now and I'm like, I've been through my acne years. Like I don't need pimples anymore. Yeah. And like, I get more frustrated when I have like a big pimple on my face, like way more than when I have a flare up. Yeah, absolutely. It's the worst. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of tell people to almost like craft your like perfect day, um, like things that just like make you feel amazing. Like maybe there's like a special treat that you eat or order like only on the day you get a flare up. Maybe there's a movie you watch only when you're having a flare up. Almost like so you're you're counteracting the shitty feeling by being like, oh, I get to do these things because I'm having a flare up. I'm going to like <laughs> reward myself. Yeah, you get you know? to have this like nice little day and relax and not have to like worry about, you know, seeing people or whatever if you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would say even challenging yourself to like dress up in lingerie and and do some of these like sensual practices to remind yourself that you're bigger than it. Like it's, it, it's got nothing on you. It's got nothing on your sexiness or challenge yourself to still go out. I've gone on dates when I've had a flare up and then yeah. I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to do much on this date, but maybe I'll still have a good hot makeout session, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's the same thing as like, you know, accepting any other thing that society is deemed imperfect. It's like I'm bloated today or I have a breakout or I have a flare up or I'm just like my, you know, I'm having a bad hair day. Like all of that stuff can easily affect us and we can use and ex- use it as an excuse to not go out because we're not hitting this unrealistic standard of perfection or we can just accept it for what it is and accept that we're humans and we're flawed and say fuck it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like the more you think of it as just like this small inconvenience skin or body thing that happens from time to time. Like it could also just be a good gentle reminder to like take up more self-care again, because like whether again, regardless of what type you have or where it is, they always work the same in the sense that like it'll pop up when your immune system is run down. So like, that's why we get flare ups. Right. Cause like, um, well, some of us who, those of us who get them, I don't know why the majority of people don't, but like, um, it doesn't say anything bad about you if you're getting flare ups. It's just like, I don't know. But, um, like there's still complexities to the virus that like science doesn't even understand, (laughs) even though it's been around for like millions of years, like before humans were even around. Um, but it can be a gentle reminder to just like re-engage with self-care because like maybe, I know for me, like lack of sleep can bring one on. Like yeah. if I'm if I'm being too much of like a rebel and like night owl and I'm not getting enough sleep, um, I feel it wear down my body and one can pop up then. You know, for some people, it's just like when they're really stressed out, like a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, you know, for some people, certain foods can trigger it. So there's like nutritional things you can do. Like basically anything that keeps your 
immune system like good and happy. So it's all, it's, it's a lot of those classic things like get a good amount of sleep, like get your exercise, like eat well, uh, you know, find ways to restore your nervous system. Like all those things are going to help to keep the virus like dormant and make Um, you just feel better. Exactly. It's, it's kind of just a call to take better care of yourself if you need. And, um, you know, so, so it can be like, you can look at it as like, oh, okay, I'm having a flare up. Like, what have I been doing? Maybe that's been running me down. Maybe there's a person in your life or like a guy you need to get rid of (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) who's triggering flare ups for you. Yeah, it can be you can be like, okay, something I'm getting flare ups around this time every month. Okay, it's a time that I see this dude or that I hang out with this friend that's kind of like a punisher. And maybe it's time it's time to cut ties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know for I know for me, sometimes it was coming up in relation to my cycle too, which I've heard really? a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I think it's like I'm still trying to understand exactly what it's about because I thought it was maybe like tied to hormones, but I think it's just that there's certain times in your cycle where you are more susceptible to like getting sick. And so those times can be when like a flare up can pop up. And so there's like things you can do at that time in the cycle to just like um, boost your immune system so that maybe it doesn't come up. So just for anyone that's struggling out there who's getting it with their cycle, um, there's definitely ways to, to help that. So I've kind of been looking into it myself, but yeah. Are... Are there any statistics on if men are there? Is there like a d- discrepancy in men or women being uh, more subject to being symptomatic? Um, it's it's wild because I feel like we carry so much of the brunt of these things. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Absolutely. But, with so many with so many STIs, women absolutely carry the brunt of the like the physical toll it takes on you. Totally, because we're we're more susceptible. Like anyone with a vulva is more susceptible because of our anatomy. Yeah. Um, and then we tend to be more symptomatic. So I know that like more women tend to present or have it, but I mean, it's so much like it's so common across humans that it doesn't even really matter much anymore. I mean, yeah. for HSV one, it's like every two and three people, so it's like literally almost wow. everyone. That's wild. Yeah. Like it's, it's odd not to have it, you know? Yeah. And again, most people won't have symptoms, so they won't even be aware. And then with HSV2, it's one in five, which is still extremely common. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So what is, what does dating look like for you? Are you seeing someone right now? I, I've definitely been enjoying like, cause you know, the relationship I got my herpes in and came out of was pretty rough and traumatic. Like they were the, the guy was, you know, a pathological liar. He was cheating on me constantly. I discovered it all after. Yeah. So it took me maybe like a good year to really like heal from that. Like I was focusing a lot on myself and then I'd say this year, it's really just been like me enjoying my singledom. So And after being married for so long before that, like my, my relationship prior to the, the tough one was my marriage. Um, I never really had like time to myself or living on my own or being single, which like, you know, isn't something everyone has to experience. Like it wasn't something I was like really missing or feeling FOMO about when I was with someone, but 
it's been so amazing though to just be on my own and in my own energy and like have time for all the different things I want to do. And so I'm pretty like, I don't want to have anyone take up a lot of my time, but I'm down to just like date and, and explore myself and have fun and explore my sexuality um, and date all kinds of people. So I've been dating and it's been really fun. Like I know it's so scary for people and they'll what breaks my heart the most is like people will literally hold themselves back from even trying just because they have herpes and they're worried about like the rejection. But I've had more fun and success dating like with herpes than (laughs) like ever in my life. But yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't single much, but in the short times I was single when I was younger, like I'm just so much more confident now, you know, completely. And I feel like it's a good it's a good test, right? Like you, you get the people who don't understand it or who buy into the social stigmas out of the way. Like this is, you know, I've, I've had people all the time who come to me and they're like, I'm really scared to date because of A, B, and C. And like, maybe it's an STI, but maybe it's just like, you know, they have like a really complicated family or they have a mental Mm -hmm. illness that they're not really comfortable talking about. And it's like, if you're dating someone and you, come to them with this vulnerability and you tell them this and they immediately want to write you off for some bullshit reason. It's like good riddance. It's almost like you almost get the bad eggs out of the way because you're able to kind of like test them on this thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's such like, that's the silver lining is it's an amazing filter. And you're so right because like everyone has, most people have something that they're nervous to reveal, you know? Right. Like everybody brings shit into a relationship. Everybody brings their own shit into a relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it brings on such a cool opportunity to suss out what someone's approach and perspective on like sex and sexual health is, you know, like I've weeded out partners who've been okay with it because they gave me like reason to feel concerned because of like, I don't know, just seeming really careless or like having zero concept of what any of this is or seeming untrustworthy in some way. Like I had someone I was talking to who told me he was, he was asking like so many questions. He was like super curious about it and what it's like. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I'll just tell him all of it. Um, And then he started to be like, I feel like I have it too. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, okay. And he was like, yeah, I get these blisters like every few months. And I just figured it was like irritation and haven't done anything about it. And I was like, okay, (laughs) wouldn't you like check that out? You know, like the obliviousness was kind of getting, getting to me. And I was like, okay, well, I can't tell you what it is for sure, but like, I would definitely get that checked out. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I should probably get tested, whatever. And I think it was like a few weeks later, I asked him if he ever went around to get tested because he was so cute. I was like down to go on a date. And I mean, I was telling my friends about it. I'm like, what do you think? And they were like, I don't know. It sounds like a red flag. Well, this that feels like you did the perfect thing, which is like give it some space and then see what he like does with your your like advice and information. Yeah. And he literally was like, well, I don't think I have it. So no, I'm not going to get tested. Oh. And I was like, okay, bye. Yeah. 
at that point he's just like in denial or like doesn't just just doesn't want to know the, even the possible truth like exactly and that's so that's so dangerous you know like yeah. that's, that's like that's that's unfair to like do to people totally it's just like at some point you have to face it even just out of compassion for other partners that are coming into your life right so so there's there's all kinds of red flags that might pop up even with people who are accepting like yeah. i i like i really try to tell people to like don't settle for someone just because they're okay with your herpes disclosure or like status because you want to make sure you still feel good about them like what's what about them like have they been tested what like what's their approach to you know like how do they engage with sex and, and partners and, you know, make sure that you feel comfortable with the person. Cause you're not this like walking, like major risk. You're not this like biohazard, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that there's so much deep rooted shame in certain people that they will settle for someone that doesn't actually really fill their cup or make them as happy as they can be because that person is simply accepting of this thing exactly. that they've been told is like deemed unacceptable. So like, oh, this person must be great if they're willing to like accept this thing about me. And that will that will eat away at and kill your self-worth to like stay with someone who isn't good for you just yeah. because they're okay with it. Like there's people who like a common comment I've seen is like, oh, well, I, I'm okay with it if it's going to be like someone for life, right? And that's so toxic because it's like you're basically saying that you're only going to give that person a chance if they're going to like stay with you forever, which like at the moment of meeting someone like is not in any way clear that you even want that. Yeah, it's very manipulative. Um, so manipulative. And then what's going to happen down the road if it's not working out? How are they going to hold that against you? And how are right. and like prevent you from leaving and stuff? Like it's such a toxic attitude and the thing is like you know, people are just reacting to maybe like the cognitive awareness that like, oh, you have herpes, how do I feel about that? But they're risking it with every single partner. Like you have to remind yourself like you're a you're a safe partner because you're aware and you're letting them know and you can take precautions, you know? Um, right. well, and they're the just funny. as like, yeah. Sorry. That's like, it's the, that's the, it's not, I wouldn't say funny, but like the kind of funny thing about it is that like, there are so many dangerous STIs and even, even fluid bonding is like such an intense thing to do with a partner that it's, it's interesting to me that we're so cavalier about like protection while also being so judgmental you know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it's this very weird juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if herpes is a deal breaker for someone, then my question is, and, and I get it. Some people are just like, maybe have more health anxiety or it just freaks them out too much. Like I don't, if someone respectfully declines, I have nothing against that. Like, yeah, it's fine. But my question, if someone sees herpes as a deal breaker is like, okay, so are you also asking your partners if they have it orally? Because it's the same risk. Right. If not, probably greater because way more people have that. And are you using protection when you engage in oral? Because the answer is probably no. So it's kind of like, so then I don't think herpes is your deal breaker, you know? Right. No, I think for a lot of people, it's probably I, I, the deal breaker is the social stigma around it. The deal breaker is me, yeah. it coming up with my friends and me feeling embarrassed or me feeling shameful about it or us maybe having to like take slightly 
more precautions if, you know, I want to make sure that I don't contract like these very little things that I think are probably a bigger teller of them as a, as a partner as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And for someone to kind of boil you down to just that, like if, cause we're all so much more than that, right? If someone's not going to want to bother with you because of like a virus like that, like they're not able to see past it, you know, that person's just not for you and it's okay. Like it really helps to kind of work with rejection and, and take it less and less personally as you go on, because you also start to see that, like, you know, we get ghosted, rejected, uh, like, breadcrumbed all the time for no reason yeah. or for reasons we'll never know, right? Like, I've I've had things not work out without disclosing um, before I've even had a chance to disclose. I've fallen off and, and stopped talking to people. Yeah. Like, for just, I don't know, like… It just wasn't a right fit. Really arbitrary reasons or it wasn't yeah. a right fit. So… Um, it really helps to get comfortable with rejection is not this like big, awful thing. And I know it can be more vulnerable and scary if it's someone you really like or something, but I just think like some people will put themselves out there and maybe like have one or two negative reactions and then they'll never try again. But it's a numbers game. Like you gotta, you gotta keep going because there's so many different types of people out there and, Literally for me, I would say like 99% are totally cool with it. Like I rarely have a negative reaction at all. So it would just be sad to let yourself – like sad to hold yourself back from things that you want to explore and experience because you're worried about this potential reaction that you will probably get rarely. And if you do get it more often than you'd like – there's ways to adjust. Like some people disclose in really negative and self-disparaging ways. Like I've called, like I've helped some people with like, you know, if you're in a really bad place with it and you're putting yourself down with it because of how little we know about herpes as it is, like that's not going to bode well with a potential partner. Like if I'm like, Hey, like I need to tell you this like really shitty thing. Like I understand if you never want to like see me again, but like I have herpes. It's like brutal. I really don't want like that is setting a precedent for sure. Yeah. Like that is such a different energy than just being like, Hey, like, so I'm so into you. I'm just letting you know off the bat. Like I have herpes. Ask me any questions you have about it. Like it's, it's super common. There's a lot of ways to work, you know, like the energy of those two are so different. And I think with like, the first disclosure, I would even be like, oh, like, should I be worried? You know? Well, I tell people that all the time when they ask me questions about like, well, I'm, I'm really embarrassed about this, this kink or fetish I have. And, and I want to tell my partner, but I'm really nervous. And that's the one thing I always say is I was like, if you go into it and you sit them down, you're like, hey, I have to tell you about this really, really weird fucked up thing that I like. <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and a lot of people would be scared by it. And I understand if you judge me and you think I'm a fucking weirdo. And I'm like, you're setting it, you're setting yourself up for failure in that way versus if you're like, hey, you know, everybody likes their own thing. And I don't know why, but I started, you know, watching this type of porn or doing this thing. And I really like it. And I know it's not super conventional, but I trust you enough to tell you and, and maybe try it out if you're interested. And I'm like, you're going to get a completely different reaction from the same person by setting those, those two same conversations up very differently. Exactly. Exactly. And I think if you're in a place where you're still having a really hard time disclosing, maybe you just need more time to like, come to a place of acceptance 
with yourself. Cause even with like the kink, it's like, you're kind of kink shaming yourself yeah, and then expecting someone to be cool with it. But like, you need to feel good and confident with it too, you know? Exactly. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it all kind of goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, which is just, you know, having this self-love and this confidence and then letting that kind of flow through you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it is so ironic that like I was into sensuality and all this stuff and then got herpes because I remember being like, how in the world am I going to like keep going with this sensuality stuff being herpes positive? Like I was just like the two like just don't go together. But it's like they actually really do because absolutely so much of our it's like those things that are hit hardest are the things that I was already like practicing and and getting into and are the ways that I'm trying to help or inspire people to like gain more acceptance around it now, you know? I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't believe we're already at an hour. I know. I just looked at the time and I was like, oh my, that went by very fast. (laughs) (laughs) Right on the nose too. I know. It was perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and just for, you know, sharing your your positivity and your confidence, I do think it's so, so incredibly helpful to people who are also living with herpes, but also just people who are living with any sort of like shame or insecurity about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like so much of our conversation absolutely transcends herpes. You know, it's it just like, it's, it's life. It's just like accepting yourself for who you are and let only letting in people who also have that acceptance. Exactly. Like there's deeper themes to it all. Um, it was such a pleasure to talk about. Thank you so much for, for reaching out to me. And, and, you know, it's like, I'll take all the trolls and stupid comments for all the people that it helps and inspires. It's so worth it. Um, and now I just have fun with it anyways. I laugh at the haters. I love that you're having fun and also you're doing great work and you're helping people. So it doesn't get much better than that. (laughs) Well, thank you again so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. It was so great having you. Okay, bye. Don't forget to follow Susanna on TikTok at Suzbub. She's an incredible resource for all things herpes, self-confidence, self-love, sensuality. She's just a great resource in general. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave it a good review. It really helps me out. And if you want more of the podcast, follow us on Instagram at was that good for you. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.